Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Awesome. Well, uh, today, yeah, like John said, we're carrying on looking at um, resurrection stories. So it's this really interesting little period between uh, Jesus um, raising from the dead, the Easter story that we celebrated, and then we're kind of um, taking it up until Pentecost. So uh, actually, you know, obviously where um, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, and that was the birth of the church as we as we are now a part of it 2,000 years later. And there is this little little bit in the middle where, um, where it's kind of this, yeah, this sort of in-between space. And it's amazing that actually in this in-between space, Jesus is there. Like obviously he's, he's resurrected, he's, he's come back to life. And, and so it's really fascinating to look at um, what happens when he's there, look what happens with the people and when he meets them. And, and I don't know, I, I just find it really easy to identify with a lot of these stories, just in that kind of uh, come from one thing on the way to something else, kind of in between. It, it feels like we'll probably always be in that, that space in some way this side of heaven but um I, yeah I just find it really interesting and I think often often with these seasons they I'm quite a visual person and you sort of almost picture it like you've got the thing over here and the thing over here and, and like the gap in between almost feels like this this dip and, may, and maybe it doesn't feel like a dip for you but um sometimes in these seasons where there's less going on there's less uh, less maybe excitement like the disciples are, are feeling like we can kind of be drawn maybe to despondency or nostalgia or just going you know, to used to be better or you know, what's the point or those kind of things. And, and I guess just whether you feel like you're in that space now or not, like just to encourage you that um, Jesus has got something for us in that space. And we've been seeing that in the last few weeks. And we're going to see it again today. And, and actually, I think there's a reason stuff happens in seasons because there's stuff that um, happens in the valley that can't happen on the mountaintop. And vice versa. And so I think wherever we find ourselves, the important thing is not to be like, oh, I wish I was somewhere else. Actually, wh- where I am, where am I right now? What is Jesus saying to me in this moment? Because it, he's got good things for me. And so we've, um, we've looked at lots of different, um, different stories already. We've looked at um, Jesus meeting Mary and how he meets her in her grief. We've looked at Jesus on the Emmaus Road and how he meets those disciples as they're confused and as they're unsure and as they're disappointed. We see how he, he came into the locked room with his disciples and, and spoke to their fear. We saw last week how Jesus met Thomas and in his doubt and in his questions met him there. And today we're going to look at Jesus and Peter. We're going to see what has Jesus got to say about failure? What has Jesus got to say about when it doesn't quite go as we expected? And actually when that mismatch of expectation was, was our fault. And the theme that has been emerging, and especially as, as Emma was sharing last week, you know, the most incredible thing about Jesus is that he comes to meet us where we are. He comes to meet us where we are. And we're going to see that again this morning. So have that in your mind. But also, I just if you were here last week, I shared a, a very brief at the end, just a prophetic word that I've um, just felt like God put in my heart and it's obviously just thinking a lot about the coronation and and we were talking a lot about oil last week and what that means and just I, I just feel a real sense of God um commissioning us to something new and that you know that part of the ceremony for King Charles was he was anointed with oil and um and I just I feel like what God is doing for us corporately um and as individuals is he's recommissioning us 
And so actually, um, I'm going to be speaking next week as well, and we're going to be looking at um, the Great Commission um, as part of how Jesus uh, ascends and then and tells us to go. And I'm really excited about that. But today, I feel like it's similar. It's about the same stuff. And so it's awesome we've been hearing um, about commissioning this morning already. But just the idea that, um, that, that there, is, there is plan and purpose for us. And Jesus wants to commission us into something. Um, and I think he wants to do that for us as individuals this morning. So um, we're going to read um, John 21. Um, we're going to read the whole thing. So actually, uh, uh, John Hodges is going to be talking um, about John chapter 1 to 15 um, in a couple of weeks. But um, we're just going to read it this morning so that because it sets up what we're looking at with Peter. So l- let's go for it. It'll be on the screen. <clears throat> Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Gutted for them, they didn't get named. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast was waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked and you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that for you? As, As for you, follow me. So this passage is is quite often referred to as the restoration of Peter. And um, if you were just literally just 
picking up this bit and reading it, then um, it'd be like, oh, like, what is, he, what is he being restored from? Like, did he not swim in from the shore quick enough? Um, but obviously we know, um, especially if you've, if you've heard many of the stories of, of Christianity, that um, there's a bit more to it. So we just wanted to uh, start this morning by looking a little bit into Peter. So um, who is Peter? Well, I, I thought, um, you know, he's probably the most talked about disciple. But probably the best thing to do would just be to pick out a couple of his um, highlights, um, potentially lowlights as well, depending depending how you read it. And uh, so, yeah, first of these, we're just going to rattle through them because there's quite a few. And I want to get through some bits this morning. So in John 13, uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And they're, they're like, what on earth is going on? You can't do this. That is, it is impossibly inappropriate for you at the head of the table to be serving us. You know, and so there, verse eight, no, Peter protested, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. So this kind of gives us the classic sort of um, the impetuousness of Peter's character. He's just like, absolutely not. And then Jesus is like, well, no, you need to. And then absolutely do it. And he was just he was just all in. He was all in. And yeah, that made him look a bit stupid sometimes, but he was all in. Even though he's impetuous, he was all in. <clears throat> in John 6, so we've just had the feeding the 5,000. Jesus has given a load of people a load of free food, and, and a lot more people are hanging out with him. And then he starts saying some really weird stuff about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and a lot of those people aren't there anymore. And then we, ha- we get this. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. So even in the midst of everyone deserting, Jesus talking weird stuff, Peter's like, where else would I go? This is life. This is life. Jesus, I don't understand it, but I'm committed to you wholeheartedly. Just as an aside, um, Simon started off being called Simon and, and Jesus gave him the name Peter. Often, So that's why we get them both. John 18, so this is, uh, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So again, we get Peter's Im- impetuousness here. Like Jesus is actually telling him off. Because um, he's doing something he should have, but again, we, we just we see that commitment and that passion. Like, and actually, his desire is like, I so fervently want to defend the cause of Jesus that I'm prepared to to cut off a Roman soldier's ear, which is that is bad news for him to do that. But again, we, we sort of get an insight into a bit of his character. And then the last um, one I want to read out is from Matthew 16, and um, this is kind of a turning point in the in the gospel. And actually, in Mark's gospel of the same account, it is literally the, the center bit of the book. And, and, and all the way, the disciples are walking in a certain direction. Then this, this story happens, and then Jesus suddenly turns towards Jerusalem. Suddenly, everything's changed. Let's just read it out. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. 
You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Peter, he is the first person to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is actually like, this is a gift from God. And, and Simon Peter, on you, on this rock, on your confession, on your recognition of who I am, I'm going to build my church. Like, what an incredible thing to hear from someone. It's amazing, isn't it? When anyone says, oh, that was great. I'm going to do this with you. What about when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this rock that's connected to you? That's pretty cool. So we get this idea of what Peter's like. He's um, kind of Jesus' number one disciple, really. But then we, um, then we get where it went wrong. And um, the denials of Peter. So firstly, let's go back to the Last Supper. So uh, this is after Jesus has done the foot washing. And uh, he's saying, someone's going to betray me. And he, he identifies it as Judas. Um, and then we get this little interaction. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Again, that sort of impetuous living at the surface. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. Deny three times that you even know me. So Jesus prophesies that Peter's going to let him down. And then let's read what happens in John 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. This is, so this is in the midst of Jesus' trial, so kind of the night um, uh, before he gets crucified. The other disciple was acquainted with a high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. A few verses later. Meanwhile, as Peter, Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. So this was the moment where, uh, as we understand it, Peter fails. He's asked three times if he knows Jesus, and he denies it, just as Jesus said he would. And the rooster crows, and, and Peter runs out crying. And he's just like, oh, I've failed. And there's, there's the really obvious sense of how he's failed. In that, um, you know, we, we, a, a verse we know very famously, you know, if we're not ashamed of the gospel, God wants us to not be ashamed of him. Um, and he's asked, are you with Jesus? And he says, no, I've, I'm, I'm not. And, and that in itself was something he shouldn't have done. He, uh, he should have said, yeah, I'm with Jesus, even when it's hard, but he didn't. And there's, there's what that looks like in terms of a, something Peter getting wrong. 
but I think there's a there's a layer underneath it as well, in terms of um, he's failing in a deeper sense in that actually when push came to shove, when it got hard, Peter wasn't who he hoped he would be. He wasn't who he hoped he would be. Because Peter, like all of us, has a way of being in the world that we are happy with. And that's a result of all sorts of different things. But there's a way that we feel comfortable. There's a way that we want to be seen. There's a way that we feel like is acceptable. And and often, particularly within specific causes, that's actually quite a, um, can be quite an extreme position sometimes. It's not necessarily the most popular position, but there's something with us and within the world around us is like, this is how I want to be seen. And think about all those stories we've just heard about Peter. You know that he's the strong man. He's the guy that's going to chop off an ear of someone that's coming for Jesus. He's the guy that's in it even when it's weird and hard. Even when this makes no sense, Jesus. Even when everyone else has gone, I'm here. He's the guy that's like, okay, all of me. Wash all of me. I'm wholehearted. I'm committed. Even he was the guy that heard Jesus say, I'm going to build my church on you. All these things kind of create this like, oh, there's a, this is what success in the world looks like for Peter, to be this wholehearted, committed disciple. Even if the world hates him, Jesus loves him and he's going to build his church on him. He's going to be glorious and defiant and lead the kingdom of God to victory. But in this moment, as he's leaving that place full of tears, yes, he's denied Jesus, but maybe actually in his heart of hearts, he's like, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who others want me to be. I'm not who Jesus said I was. Feels like that. And that, yes, it's what happened. And yes, it's the, you know, don't deny Jesus. But it's that sense of, I'm not quite where I hoped I would be when push came to shove. So this is Peter. Obviously, he, he, come, he, he recovers from this moment. We read that he's one of the first at the tomb when Jesus comes back to life. So he's obviously he's back within the fraternity. He's back with the disciples. He's he's back with Jesus. But then they're out on the boat, and um, who knows? We don't know what's going through his head. But um, Jesus meets the disciples. He you know we have the miraculous catch, and someone says, "Look, it's Jesus." And Peter's like, "Ah," oh. again impetuous. I'm going, like, I'm going straight for him. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you, I imagine he was dead excited, but also, can you just imagine how, like, what the atmosphere was like as he's walking, I like, wonder what I'm going to find. wonder what I'm going to find from Jesus. And he gets there, and what's Jesus doing? He's got a fire on the go. A charcoal fire, which we read that Peter's been by a charcoal fire before, hasn't he? And even almost the the smell, or the the feel of the warmth on his face is going to take him back to that moment where, when push came to shove, he said no. Let's read the um, from fifteen seventeen. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. 
Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So not only is, is John stood in front of a charcoal fire, but even just in the way that Jesus talks to him, there's those three questions. In the same way that he was asked three times, do you love me? Like, is, he was asked, you know, are you with Jesus? And he said, no. Jesus is like, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? And even in these two little details, Jesus is meeting us where we are. You know, he doesn't ignore the reality of our situation. He doesn't ignore the fact that Peter betrayed him in front of a fire three times. It's like, it might be awkward to bring that up, so let's not mention it. He's like, no, I'm going to come into this place of pain and of failure, and I'm going to meet you there, and I'm going to speak life into it. So that thing isn't going to have a hold on you anymore. Actually, that's going to be the birth of something new. And I'm going to breathe my resurrection life into the depth of your failure. I'm going to breathe my life. Jesus doesn't ignore it. He's okay. He's a big boy. He comes and meets us. It's like, and actually, what really matters is, do you love me? It's not, hey, Peter, what was going on? Like, I know you probably felt like an outsider because, you know, you're still outside the gate and then you got let in and you're a bit all, you know, you know, explain it to me. He doesn't, he doesn't ask that. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? There's no scolding. There's no telling him off. There's no, oh, you should have done this. Okay, next time, try this. You know, uh, and Jesus' response even uh, when Peter's like, yeah, I love you. He's like, well, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. There's, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't even need to say, Peter, I forgive you for what you did. It's like, actually, if this connection is here with you, like in his word of commissioning, he's like, okay, well, go and do something. Like that forgiveness that maybe, I don't know, maybe Peter was feeling like, can I do this anymore? Like, am I allowed? Like, have I stuffed it up? Have I wrecked it all? Jesus is like, do you love me? Yes, well, then crack on with who you're meant to be. Feed my sheep. Wrapped inside this word of commissioning is, is the forgiveness that Jesus has for Peter. And um, you'll notice there's some, some Greek words in brackets there. And um, it's interesting that the word that's used for love in this interaction is different. So first off, Peter, uh, Jesus says, um, Simon, do you, do you agape me? Which is kind of the, the big word for love. The sort of all-encompassing, self-sacrificial, everything love. And Peter replies, you know I love you, phileo. And this is, this is the more sort of kind of relational, it's a bit more like friendship kind of love. And the way that N.T. Wright would translate this is like, Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? And almost like all that Peter can bring himself to say is, Jesus, I'm your friend. And then the second time, 
He's like, Simon, do you love me? He's like, Jesus, I'm your friend. And then the third time, Jesus moves towards him, says, Peter, are you my friend? And maybe that's why the tears are in his eyes and it breaks open again. He's like, yeah, you know I'm your friend. I don't know if I can stand here and say I'm going to give everything for you because I said that before and I didn't. But I'm your friend. And Jesus says, okay, well, let's go from here. That's all I need. Let's go from here. And then as it, as it continues, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus said, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the other disciple Jesus loved and said, what about him, Lord? And Jesus said, um, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. So they've just had this incredible interaction. And then Jesus is like, okay, well, this is what it looks like to build the kingdom. Like, you're still my guy, right? Like, still feed my sheep, tend my lambs. This is what it's going to look like. It's simple, minimal commands, but that encompass everything. It's like, feed my sheep. There isn't a blueprint. There isn't a, this is how to do it. This is the plan for world domination. Feed my sheep. Be who you're made to be for the people in front of you, the people that are put in your path. Have this posture that is, I, will, I am someone that's going to feed the sheep. That's, all you, that's what all Jesus says to him, to feed my sheep. And then um, this idea that actually the next bit is you've got these simple kind of blueprint commands is that actually you need to take your hands off the steering wheel. You aren't driving this thing. Peter, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. And there's a very literal meaning for this in what Jesus was saying. But this is really Jesus saying again, take up your cross daily, follow me. Those who seek to hold on to their lives will lose it. But those who, who give of it will find eternal life. Simple command. Take your hand off the steering wheel. You're going to have to lose your life to truly find it. Then thirdly, just a little bit at the end, but, you know, um, and it's there because there was this rumor around that John was never going to die, the guy that wrote it. But it's interesting here because um, Peter's like, well, what about him? You know, uh, what are you going to do with him? And it it reminds me of when Aslan talks to Lucy and Horse and his boy, and she's like, doesn't matter. You're, that's their story. For us with Jesus, like, yes, we do this as a community. I talk about that all the time. But in terms of like, what about doesn't matter. What is it to you what I do with them? What is it to you how I use their ministry or their witness or how I bless them? What is that to you? As for you, follow me. That's all it is. As for you, at the end of the day, when it's all boiled down, follow me. Step by step, that complete trust, that daily reliance, that maybe we don't know where we're going. Maybe it's just one step in front of the other into the darkness. But Jesus is like, follow me with your eyes fixed on me. 
And like, isn't this just the most incredible interaction? Like, who knows what Peter expected as he, as he emerged from the water onto the shore, and who knows what he was going to find, but like, really, when we think about it, what else would we expect from Jesus? The Jesus that we, when you know Jesus, it's still, it's still astounding, but what else would we expect from this wonderful, wonderful friend? We see that Jesus knows Peter. He sees him. He ministers to his pain. He forgives him. He breathes new life into his calling. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say everything's going to be easy from here. But he gives him the ultimate encouragement in that he's like, just let's do it together. Let's do it together. We'll look at it more next week. But, you know, behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Follow me. So what about us? What do we think about when we read Peter's story? If I don't know, I'd, maybe this is just me, but almost like, what would it look like if I was in that scene and I, and, and I was sort of walking towards the shore and meeting Jesus and there was this thing in the air that almost like there was like pregnant with this conversation that was about to happen. What would that conversation be about? That unspoken thing. Um. It might be there's one thing. It might be there's actually there's one thing. That, oh, yeah, that, that was the moment. And likelihood is lots for all of us. You know, Romans 3.23 says, all of us, every single person, falls short of the glory of God. We've All of us, in lots of different ways, have swapped the creator for the created. We've put something in, in God's place that is, that is man-made, that is of the world. And we've worshipped an idol instead of God. We've all done that. And the amazing thing is that um, the message of the gospel is that um, because of Jesus, we are forgiven of all of that. That the power of sin is broken. That we can all know forgiveness and we can all come into relationship with God that, um, that is eternal and is life-giving and, is, and we are adopted as kids because of what Jesus has done. He has removed sin from our life. He's removed the consequence of sin. And the incredible thing is, like, if you don't know Jesus, like, he is on the shore cooking you breakfast this morning. He's waiting for you to come to him, to connect with you, to experience his kindness and his love and his, his commissioning. But I wonder if there's, a, if there's another sort of layer deeper um, not that, it, like, that knowing Jesus is the most wonderful thing, but I wonder where we're at in our journey with God. There might be something deeper that he wants to do. That, um, that yes, maybe we can think of ways we've got it wrong, and we can think of um, poor performance, and maybe actually there's some stuff that's absolutely monumentally catastrophic that we've done. But more than just that sense of um, getting stuff wrong, What's going on underneath? You know, I was talking about earlier about Peter, that sense of when push came to shove, I, I wasn't who I hoped I'd be. And even so, I was, as I was prepping this, I was, I was thinking about, oh, you know, like, oh, should I ask everyone, what's your biggest failure? Um, and uh, I have a, a stock answer to that um, question, which came when I was at a conference about student work. And that, oh, what's your biggest failure? 
and I, I go to the story about how I'd organized this outreach thing. Um, we're going to go like do some prophetic evangelism. And it was on a bank holiday. I didn't really want to be there. I didn't think anyone was going to come. But uh, I saw one guy walking down the street. And uh, it was, uh, for various reasons, it would have been an awkward time together doing some evangelism. And I pulled the curtains down, uh, turned the lights off, and ignored it when he knocked on the door. And l- let him go away. And I went and enjoyed the rest of my bank holiday. Um, yeah. And uh, I think, uh, Anna, do you remember me telling me this story at this conference we were at? And, uh, and it, it went down like a lead balloon because I think they wanted a story of, oh, I remember when you tried to do, you know, like this amazing festival in the park and it rained, but God still showed up. And yeah, we, we lost loads of money, but someone gave us it back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was like, oh, no, I was just a bit of an idiot. Um, but you know what? I was thinking about that story and I quite like telling that story because it makes me look like a human. And it makes me look like someone that isn't is okay of saying, "Oh, look, I got it wrong." And actually, that gives me a bit of a kick because part of how I want to be seen in the world is someone that is human and is real and authentic. And so, actually, in a way, that story of failure is a, something that I can use for my success. Probably what I didn't really want to tell you about is. Um, this is, I'm not going to be confession. I lost my Bible recently. Um, and it was two weeks before I noticed. And then I didn't want to tell anyone because I was embarrassed that it was two weeks before I noticed. And so I was like, oh, this Bible that my wife gave me, I'm just going to let that slip into oblivion rather than be out myself as someone that hadn't been reading their Bible every day for the last two weeks. That sense of, you know, like, what's important to me? How do I want to be seen? How, in, when, in the world that I'm in, what does success like look like? Like, actually, that was a, that was a failure for me, and I, and I was embarrassed by it. And so I didn't say anything. And so I, th- I think I just have this really strong sense of where Jesus wants to meet us today, is in, is in all of it, but especially in those bits where it's like, I haven't been who I want to be. You know, where maybe I've, I'm less than others see me or seem to see me. That actually, like Peter in the courtyard, when push comes to shove, I haven't been all that I hoped. And then the great thing is, as I've already mentioned, like failure isn't fatal. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. Um. Here's something I'm still thinking through, but it isn't fatal. And also, is there an element that actually recognizing our shortcomings is essential? Let's go back uh, to John 13, 36. The next slide. Um, can I just have it on here? Great. Um, yes. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. You can't go with me now but you'll follow me later. So it feels like Jesus is actually re, is prophesying his recommission as well as his denial. Because the next verse is when he says, you're going to deny me. And I wonder, like, is true discipleship only possible on the other side of failure? On the other side of being like, you know what? I am not all I hoped I would be. 
that actually for us to truly follow Jesus, we need to put to death the idea that we are the hero in God's story. That actually this image of who we imagine we might be and who the world wants us to be, Jesus doesn't need that. He loves it because he loves us. But actually that sense of true discipleship is, you know what? The dream of who Ralph Pedley is in the world, that needs to die. Because one way or another it's going to, whether I deny him in the courtyard or not. But actually that moment of being on the shore with Jesus, are you my friend? Yeah, all right, let's go forward together from here. I think that's the only place that true discipleship can happen. Because otherwise we're always just like, oh God, I can do this for you. Even in our, even in our like, we just saw with the fish, didn't we? Like the disciples were just doing stuff and Jesus blessed it and it was good, but then he needed to come away from that, get commissioned into what was real and what was true for him. But the, only, the doorway through that was the redemption of failure. And I think a big part of that is, is the death of, the, of us as the great hero. It's like Jesus is less interested in the grand gestures. He, you, know, you know, the cutting off of the ear. That, you know, he's not that bothered. He's, he's not that into that. It's the long obedience in the same direction. Are we your friend? You know, he wants us to follow him because we love him. And we follow him because we found the words of eternal life in him. And we can trust that God will paint the bigger picture. We can trust that God will build his church, that he did on the foundation of Peter, build his church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. But that wasn't because Peter was amazing. It's because Jesus is amazing. And Peter loved him and joined in. So let's pray. Um, Why don't you guys stand up? Uh, If you're on the... If you're on the prayer team, do you want to come out? Um, that would be great. Um, head over here. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity for response um, this morning. I think, um, first and foremost, like, actually, if you don't know Jesus yet, he's amazing. Just, um, just say yes to him. You can work out the rest as you go. But just um, whether it's someone you came with or one of these guys, just just come and say, ah, oh, Jesus, I want to live for you. And uh, uh, two other things I think you might want to respond to this morning. First, that sense of Jesus being on the shore and that actually we can come away from the stuff we're doing, even the good stuff that he's blessing. We can repent, which is like change our mind, go in a different direction. And I think the opportunity is there for repentance this morning, particularly if it's something that feels uncomfortable. And it might be that there's this an obvious failure situation that you want to do business with God over. But I wonder if it's actually in that feeling uncomfortable with, um, it's okay that I'm not the answer to the world because Jesus is the answer. But almost like there's an invitation to go through a bit of discomfort with may- where maybe we haven't been as we hoped we would be whatever that looks like, and just be like, Jesus, meet me here. Let's go forward together. 
And I think finally there's, there's just a response for all of us. Actually, knowing that in the grace of Jesus, in the midst of his kindness, there is a word of commission. And I think he wants to recommission us as his disciples this morning. Recommission us as those who are like following him step by step, day by day. And so actually, I just think if that is you, if you're like, you know what, Jesus, for the first time or the 50 millionth time, I want to follow you. And maybe I've been doing my own thing and hoping you'd get involved, but I want to turn that around. Like, Jesus, I want to do what you're doing. Then I would just invite you to respond this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are wonderful. We love you. Thank you that you're our friend. And Jesus, I pray that we will be a community that is transformed by your love. That we know that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. That even if we have fallen short, nothing can separate us from your love. And Jesus, I thank you that that your love is so powerful. That it's stronger than death. And Lord, we just offer up this morning all those things that actually need to be put to death. And we ask God that you would breathe resurrection life into us. Redeem us again. Speak new life and new hope into us. And lead us into the world as real people who have been really transformed by you. Help us to lay down any pretense, especially to lay down any Christian pretense of how we think we should be and how we think others see us, how we see ourselves. Trusting God that you love every single bit of us. And you're making all of us and all of this world new. Thank you, God, for all you're doing. Move amongst us, we pray. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless and see you soon.